Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah 27. I'll read a portion from chapter 27 and a portion from chapter 28 as well. So join me in Jeremiah 27. We'll read verses 1 to 11 to start. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus said the Lord to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab and the king of the sons of Ammon and the king of Tyre and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you, with the result that you will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and to dwell there, declares the Lord. And then if you would turn to chapter 28 with me, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. And you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet of Hananiah died. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we come to this book. That you've given to us, we come to words that are dark and disturbing. We come to heavy words of judgment and threat, of violence, of loss, and even death. And and we come needing your help. We we trust that in the end, these are words of life. These are an invitation 
to us to see your light in the darkness. But sometimes we have trouble seeing it. Sometimes we have trouble hearing the good news. And so would you help us? Would you humble us? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to receive your message? To be led to repentance? To hear the powerful word of forgiveness and reconciliation? And to know the work of your spirit? transforming us more into the image of your Son. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Not every little girl gets to be what she wants to be. The world can't support that many ballerinas. I heard that on a television show recently. And it is one of those boring adult realities, isn't it? That we don't always get to be what we want to be. We don't always get to do what we want to do. And sometimes we have to do what we don't want to do. And ever the Eeyore, Jeremiah puts that reality in front of us with this text. He brings to us that boring adult Reality that sometimes you don't get what you want. The kings and the, the diplomatic representatives of the nation surrounding the nation of Israel, they have gathered in Jerusalem. They are gathered at a diplomatic summit and they are dreaming of freedom. They are dreaming of freedom from the oppressive empire of the Babylonians. But in the midst of these proceedings, Jeremiah busts in wearing a symbol. Wearing the symbol not of freedom, but of slavery. A yoke, a farming tool that connected an animal to a plow. Jeremiah comes into these proceedings, into these dreams of freedom, wearing the symbol of bondage. And he does that to enact God's message to these leaders. God is saying through him, not revolt, not rebel, not liberate, but submit. Submit to the totalitarian regime of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't, things will go even worse for you. Sometimes you don't get to do what you want to do. And although there is a distance between us, although there's a historical and a cultural distance between us and this moment, there is still a connection from this moment to ours. Not only because of the general truth that you don't always get what you want, but because of a more specific truth. The more specific truth that God's call and claim on your life will sometimes put you in less than ideal situations. Will sometimes put you in situations where you don't get to be what you want to be. 
where you don't get to do what you want to do. God's call on your life will put you in situations where your dreams are disappointed and your desires are thwarted. How do we respond to that? Isn't that depressing? How do we respond to that? How do we respond when we are dreaming of freedom and God hands us a yoke? Well, this morning I want us to listen to Jeremiah again. And we will hear Jeremiah say to us, in that situation, surrender in hope. Two elements there, surrender and hope. First of all, surrender. Why should these leaders submit to Nebuchadnezzar? What reason does Jeremiah give them for doing that? Verse 6 of chapter 27. It's not because Babylon has the most powerful army. It's not because Babylon has a superior culture. The reason they should submit is because of what God has given to Nebuchadnezzar. It's because God has given these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. That's why they should submit. So the call to surrender here isn't ultimately to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. It is surrender to the yoke of God. Jeremiah asserts God's sovereign right to control the events of history and to command our response to those events. And that all-encompassing authority and power, Jeremiah says, is not only because God is God, but it's also because God is creator. He has made all things, and so he has the right to do with all things whatever he pleases. God holds the eternal patent on the entirety of creation. And because of that truth, to resist God's rightful rule over this world, over our lives, in the end, is not freedom. It's the ultimate slavery. It's the ultimate slavery. That's what Hananiah learned in chapter 28. Hananiah was one of the false dreamers of Israel. And he made this dramatic gesture of breaking the wooden yoke off Jeremiah. And he said, in less than two years' time, Babylon will be gone. And you'll be free. How does God respond to Hananiah? He says, Hananiah, you've rejected wood. And now you get iron. You get bars of iron. Resisting God's rule isn't freedom. It's slavery. Nebuchadnezzar learned that as well. In Jeremiah, God gives him all of these nations. But in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he walks out on his roof. He looks at his empire and he puffs up his chest in arrogance. And he says, look at me now. Look at me now. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I own. And in that moment, God takes his sanity. And it becomes like a beast, not a man. After a time, God restored his right mind. And Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed this truth. 
He said, his dominion is forever, not mine. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, not mine. To resist the sovereign prerogative of God isn't freedom. It's slavery. It's not a move towards liberation. It is the path towards bondage. Resisting God's pervasive authority doesn't increase your humanity. It diminishes it. Now, I know that is an offensive message to many people in Tallahassee, Florida. And maybe to some of you in this room. And that offends us. That offends us because of our vision of human dignity. And particularly our American vision of human dignity. It offends us because we think of freedom as the absence of authority. The absence of limits. The absence of restrictions. We think that is freedom. But that definition is not only unbiblical, it is also irrational. That's the logic of Winnie the Pooh. Okay, remember Winnie the Pooh? He goes to Rabbit's house for lunch. And he goes to Rabbit's house for lunch because he thinks there, there is the opportunity to eat all the honey he wants. No limits. And where does that leave him? Stuck in the door. In bondage. Appetite without limit is slavery. It's the logic of addiction. What is addiction? Addiction is saying, I should get what I want, whenever I want, without limit. And as any honest addict will tell you, addictions enslave, they diminish, and they destroy. We were made for a better freedom. We were made to live under the rightful Rule of God. And when we resist that rule, it's bondage, not liberation. You see, we never reject authority. We only replace it. As St. Dylan has said, you, you gotta, everybody's got to serve somebody. <laughs> you got to serve somebody. The question isn't, will you surrender? The question is, to whom will you surrender? Will you surrender to the one for whom you were made? Or will you surrender to some other pretender to the throne? Some other false dehumanizing master. Jesus said you can't serve God and the love of money. Because the love of money is a pretender to the throne. It will diminish you, not increase you. It will dehumanize you. Who will you serve? Now I know we don't always get as these clear instructions like Jeremiah gives to these people. You know, we have questions about, you know, should I leave a job? Should I get another job? Should I move? What should I major in? And we don't always get clear answers to those questions. We often have to 
make the best and wisest decisions that we can and trust the mercy of God. But you know what? There are still plenty of clear instructions in Scripture. And every command of God, whether it's do not commit adultery or love your enemies, every command of God is the question, to whom will you surrender? Will you keep your vows when you'd rather break them? Will you give away what you'd rather keep? Will you love and forgive when you'd prefer anger and vengeance? To whom will you surrender? Will it be the one for whom you were made? Or will it be some false pretender to the throne? Which will in the end enslave you and destroy you. And while that is true, it can seem like a cold truth, can it? To proclaim God's pervasive sovereignty, his demand for unquestioning obedience. That is true, but it can feel like a cold truth. And so I am so grateful that Jeremiah keeps talking. Jeremiah not only says surrender, but secondly, he says surrender in hope. He gives these people not only a yoke, but also a calendar. He helps them and us to tell time. He says surrendering to God is surrender not only to a person, but also to a plan. And that plan has a now and it has a later. No puns about candy. The plan has a now and it has a later. What's now? Now is Babylon. It is situations that are less than ideal. And Jeremiah goes on to expand what it is like to live under the yoke of Babylon in chapter 29. He tells the people who are in exile, stay where you are. Stay where you are. Build houses. Plant gardens. Get a job. Have a family. Pray for and seek the well-being of your place. This place that has oppressed you. Seek its well-being. That's the yoke for now. But the plan also has a later. There's a future. Verse 7 of 27 and 22 of chapter 27. God's dominion remains forever. But Nebuchadnezzar's doesn't. Babylon will fall. God's people will be returned. This promise again expanded in chapter 29, which with words that are often taken out of context, but are more powerful and beautiful because of the context. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace, not for evil. Plans to give you a future. See what Jeremiah does? Jeremiah doesn't say, stop dreaming. He doesn't say, stop.
stop desiring. He says, let God give you a better dream. Let him give you a better future. Let him in his time give give you more than you know how to want. And so in the end, the yoke, this symbol of slavery, becomes the path to freedom. In the end, this yoke is the path to liberation because of where God promises that it goes. He is sovereign, yes, but he is a sovereign over a story that ends in renewal and restoration. So for now, that yoke, it's a little like the Friday before spring break. Where you still have to go to school and you still have to take your spelling test. But there's a lightness to it because of what's coming. There is a lightness to it because of what what is coming. God gives his people a better dream, better desires, fitted within his plan, his calendar, his story. And that is why Jesus, when he invites us to his yoke, he says it's easy. He says in Matthew 11, my burden is light. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the dream. Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes of Jeremiah. Jesus entered this world where you don't always get what you want. And he suffered that loss and that pain more than any of us ever will. He knelt in the garden before the cross, sweating blood, saying, Father, I don't want to do this. If it's possible, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours. Jesus took the yoke of the cross for us. Why did he do it? Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame and the pain of the cross. The joy of being returned to His Father. And the joy of gathering us. Those of us who believe in Him. And who are being restored to God. For the joy set before Him. He took on the yoke. Of God's judgment. The yoke of the cross for us. That's why the yoke that He gives to us is easy. That's why his burden is light. He's not saying that following him, obeying him, is without pain, is without struggle, is without suffering. No, of course it is. He calls us to take up our cross. But that yoke is easy because of who he is and because of where he leads us. Jesus died and rose To reign over a story that ends in our resurrection and the renewal 
of all things. When he hands us his yoke, he hands us a better dream. He hands us the promise of more than we know how to want. And so for us, for now, it's Babylon. We live in a world that opposes us. We live in a world that harms us, that hurts us, that is full of oppression, that is full of injustice, that is full of the tragic impact of sin. We are called to live in that world faithful to Jesus' invitation to follow him. We are called to pray for and seek the well-being of our place, even when that place is as messed up as it can be. Even when that place is frightening and painful, we are called to pray for and seek the well-being of our neighbors, of our city. That is our yoke. But it's an easy yoke because Jesus shares it with us. And he is leading us towards the vision of all things. Being made new by Him. He knows the plans He has for us. Plans for peace, not for evil. A future and a hope. So listen, we can't all be ballerinas. We can't all be professional ballerinas. But we can all be dancers. We can all be dancers because we can joyfully surrender to the beat of God's kingdom, his reign, his rule, his will for our lives. And we can joyfully surrender because out in front of us is a future, a future that has been purchased by the precious blood of our Savior. Let's pray.